Hello and welcome to a Friday, May 1st, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. The May baskets on the doors of our neighbors or lovers or having a parade to show off our military hardware. Um, instead, we're going to talk about Governor Kim Reynolds easing restrictions on business closings and social gatherings, how COVID-19 is disproportionately impacting people of color, and the legislature talking about going back to work sometime. Maybe the Blue Angels or Thunderbirds will fly over while we're podcasting. It's the May Day state of mind. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Amy Rivers in the water Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, lead newspaper statehouse bureau chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Twitter. First up, Relaxing. <laughs> it's time to podcast, I guess. Uh, May 1 marks a milestone in Iowa's battle in the first war against the coronavirus. The state has sustained heavy casualties, more than 162 deaths, more than 7,000 positive cases, nearly 154,000 Iowans out of work due to the virus and unknown business failures and economic damage. But today, Governor Kim Reynolds is beginning to reopen 77 counties by allowing restaurants, malls, and other businesses to resume activities with some limitations in 77 counties. Um, so Todd, what are you gonna be shopping for at the farmer's market this weekend? Oh, well, I tell you, I, I think I've still got a few baby carrots rolling around in the bottom of the crisper drawer. So I think, I think, I think I'm good. I think I'm good for now. <laughs> yeah, th those carrots aren't going very fast at our house either. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, um, Aaron, the governor defended her decision uh, to reopen or start to reopen businesses in 77 counties, mostly the, the, the more rural counties, not the urban counties. She said she didn't just rip the Band-Aid off or flip the light switch. Um, based on the data, including the fact that about 90% of newly confirmed cases of COVID-19 are in the 22 counties still under the tight restrictions. Um, is that, as she described it, quote, reasonable phased in approach? Well, the, uh, there's an argument to be made that it is uh, reasonable and, and safe for the reasons you listed, that she only um, lifted the restrictions in the places where the virus has not been widespread, um, at least as far as confirmed cases um, that we're aware of. And, and even with the lifted restrictions, she's still in, in encouraging social distancing practices. Um, you know, restaurants can't just open up full bore. They have to only operate at 50%, you know, only six people at a table. Tables have to be six feet apart. Um, so there are still safeguards in place on top of it. So, so that's uh, the argument for the people who um, are comfortable with this and, and the governor's administration who say that this is a reasonable and safe approach. Uh, the concern is that it subjects these areas to spread the virus by um, opening up and, and allowing more people to roam a little more freely in those areas. And, and um, maybe people come from other areas um, that are still shut down in the more infected areas and uh, could spread the virus without realizing it. So, so there's a little bit of uh, calculated risk uh, to it too, that um, you know, it, things have been managed well, so far in those areas, 
Um, and, and now the risk with this is that uh, you open it up to, to possible more uh, virus spread by doing this. You know, I was thinking that this is going to sort of create social dilemmas. I mean, if, you, if you're thinking about going out to uh, dinner, uh, you know, you can only invite five friends. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it could be a little bit awkward. It's, it, it, it might be a little bit like, uh, you know, a cafeteria in middle school, you know, like, oh, no, you can't sit here. <laughs> I've, I've got five friends going to sit with me. Um, you're not one of them. <laughs> uh, of course, Amy, I guess uh, one way to avoid that is uh, to uh, order in or to carry out. And, and for those of us living in the 22, uh, the counties that are still under lockdown, uh, does this matter as long as we can order food and cocktails from our favorite restaurants? You know, I, I think it's, it's not super on a lot of people's mind that I've talked to. I think the people that I have talked to that are just itching to get out there are the people that really haven't seen a lot of cases. You know, I've got a friend in Jones County who is just talking about how she can't wait for Jones County restaurants to open. And they've only got, you know, a couple dozen cases. So that's totally understandable. But I think around here, people are, you know, they're wearing masks when they go to Target. I mean, they're, they're picking up groceries from Walmart. They're getting their booze from single speed. You know, they're trying to really stay away from other people because they know that we've got, you know, 1,300, 1,400 cases right now in Black Hawk County and we're very hard hit. And they keep telling us this over and over and over again to stay home. So I think right now it's not on a lot of people's mind and maybe that's good. Maybe if it was like that we were really cooped up and trying to do things that we couldn't do, then that would be bad. But we can still go for hikes, you know, we can still walk around our neighborhood. I think probably a lot of people are gardening. I know that's what I'll be doing this weekend. So I'm hoping that people sort of focus on that and, and try to find those things that are going to keep them away because the hospitals are just warning of the first surge is kind of getting done with now that Tyson employees have been tested, but the second surge is coming right behind it if people aren't careful. Yeah. And that's a, a, a good point Amy brings up. And I wanted to expand on that real quick it, is that it'll be interesting to see as, as this, kind of reopening rolls out how much of that activity we actually see because it's it's still, you know, people's individual choice whether they choose to go out to these places. And it was interesting just this week, um, Governor Reynolds, uh, you know, lifted or, or clarified that statewide it's okay to go to church. And immediately you had the Catholic bishops uh, come out and say, we're not doing uh, masses. And, and a couple other faith leaders who said, um, uh, encouraged the same thing, that people still shouldn't gather for mass. <clears throat> Pardon me. And, and and even the the one day the governor was talking about restaurants being able to reopen and had a restaurant owner on, she invited onto her briefing to talk about that, and she asked him, and, and he was excited about the opportunity. He was supportive of the governor's change, but when she asked him, "Are you excited to reopen on Friday?" he said, "We're actually going to wait a couple of weeks. We're not going to full bore reopen on Friday. We're going to use those couple of weeks to, um, you know, prepare the restaurant and prepare staff." Um, and, and still kind of be careful with this. So it, it's one thing the governor has relaxed these rules. It'll be interesting to see how many businesses go all the way open right away and how much people go out to these places. Well, and it'll, it'll also be interesting for the places in, say, Jones County that do open, how the patrons and folks will feel as they walk into the restaurant and see all the Lynn County plates from the you know people traveling from the, the Dirty 22 or whatever you're you're going to call us into, the, right. into, the, uh, into these other places because they want to go out to eat. And so that's yep. boundaries are 
val are you know valuable in a lot of ways, but they don't stop pathogens very well. So that's that's kind yeah. of the interesting, you know. Yeah, another great example of that is uh, right know, in here. Ames and Story yeah. County are open while Polk County remains closed. I mean, that's a pretty easy drive yeah. from my place in Ankeny. Yeah. Uh, it's quicker to get to Ames than it is to West Des Moines in my place. So that's that's another one like you're talking about. You know, it's not going to be like you're going out to your favorite restaurant and everybody's going to be there. And, you know, it, it's going to be, if you're spread out like that, I, I don't know how that affects the dining experience. Some people may like that, I guess. Um, that, you know, you're not sitting right on top of, you know, the next big uh, uh, so it, I guess it's, it'll be interesting to watch how this plays out. Uh, I mean, I can understand if you, if you live in Jones County and there's only been 12 cases or, or whatever, you know, you say like, oh, the threat isn't that bad. But right. as Todd, Todd, Todd points out, that you know, if you show up and you know those of us from the other the twenty two are are there, uh, how safe are you? I mean, we had this story this this week about the mayor of Marquette saying, "Gee, all you people from Blackhawk and Lynn and Johnson County, stay home. Don't be coming up here to your cabins and on the river until it's safe." You know, and mm -hmm. and there, you know, Clayton mm -hmm. County is one of the counties that's open. Um, mm -hmm. But they're not looking forward to seeing us, I guess. Um, yeah, and uh, Pella is upset because a lot of people, even though they canceled tulip time, there's all these folks coming down there to look at the tulips. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. And even her, I think I read somewhere that there was someone that was actually handing something out to people, saying, you know, yep, I saw a tweet like from that. a yeah. news person. Mm -hmm. Yep. And even more than that, I, I mean, you know, we talk about the restaurants that we won't be able to go to in other counties, but. I, there are people at the Tyson and Independence in Buchanan County, which is, you know, obviously still open for business, that are just really worried about all these people that work there that live in Blackhawk County and could be spreading the virus into them just by virtue of coming to work, you know, and, and being have, having lived in Blackhawk County and being around all this viral spread. So it's a real sure. fear for people, sure. I think, county spread. Mm -hmm. Speaking of fear, um, we were told a couple of weeks ago that the curve was flattening. Apparently, meat pack, meat packing plants didn't get that memo. The numbers there have shot up and stayed up at meat processing plants around the state. We're seeing some to close for deep cleaning, and uh, because the number of workers affected by COVID nineteen um, has affected production. You, Amy, you've been following this very closely with the front lines being at uh, the Tyson plant there at Waterloo. Um, what's the situation there? Uh, are, are they still closed? Or are they reopening? And what's, what's the thoughts of uh, workers there? Well, most of their operations are closed. Um, I get the sense they, they do still have some workers on that are, um, you know, processing the few hogs that they received right before that they closed. Um, they might be in their cleaning. They might be, you know, doing other things. But most of the workers are home. They're being paid um, to stay home, not getting unemployment. They're being paid for now. Um, but Tyson hasn't said when they're going to reopen, which is really interesting because they have said that in the case of other plants generally. So it's, it's really interesting to me to, to see, you know, what they're waiting for. Perhaps they're waiting for this order from Trump. Um, perhaps they're waiting for something else. Perhaps they're just waiting for testing to catch up um, to find out where they're really at in terms of can they actually call enough workers back that aren't sick. Um, we've been told that 90% of all of our county's cases are either directly or indirectly attributable to the plant, which would probably be worrisome for management. I mean, one of the big reasons that they closed was the absenteeism, which is either people that were sick 
or people that were just fearful of getting sick. And I think there was a lot more of the latter. And so if you can't really assure people that they're not going to get sick, if you call them back, you're still going to have that absentee problem. And so Tyson, I think, is really weighing that in deciding when to open back up. How has the, the president's use of the Defense Production Act um, affected things at the plant? I mean, you said they're still closed. So, I mean, what impact does this have? I'm not sure. And I've been trying to ask people that. Um, I think Tyson is still trying to work through what the order means for them. Um, I think the governor probably is still trying to work through that. She mentioned that she had a meeting with Vice President Pence on Wednesday, um, but I, I didn't hear anything in her briefing yesterday. And I, I unfortunately wasn't called on to ask. Our county officials aren't exactly sure what that means. They think that Tyson might be able to stand up operations within a three-day time. Does that mean they're going to open up in three days? Maybe, maybe not. Um, it could also mean that they've got a timeline where if they decide to stand up operations, they can do it in three days. Um, but yeah, it is really unclear what this order means, um, whether it's just to protect them from lawsuits, whether it's to protect them from uh, somebody trying to close them down, although nobody can except for the governor. Our, our county has, has decided for legally reasons. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not really sure what the order means, and I, I hope the governor or somebody would be able to clarify that for us. Mm -hmm. One of the things that uh, has been clear as we've gone through this uh, pandemic is that the impact COVID-19 has, has had a disproportionate impact on minorities. And Aaron, um, you've been looking at the, this week. That's not unique to Iowa and Iowa packing plants, but uh, it's, I guess, the workforces at those plants in Iowa tend to be, um, have a high number or high percentage of uh, black and brown workers. Um, what have you found as you've looked at this? Yeah, that, that's clearly uh, one of uh, the major drivers of this. These two issues uh, definitely are hand in hand, uh, the, the meat issues at the meatpacking plants and the um, kind of outsized uh, share uh, of, uh, of minorities being impacted by this uh, disease. So uh, in Iowa, uh, the numbers are um, Latinos are just 6% of the population, but they've accounted for 23% of, of coronavirus cases. And uh, Black Iowans are just 4% um, of the population, but they've uh, accounted for 13% of the uh, coronavirus cases. So there's, so there's clearly um, um, an outsized impact on those communities. Um, you mentioned the meatpacking plants, um, uh, obviously a big driver of that. Uh, in, um, so there's people that are working on this, the, you know, the advocacy groups are, are getting involved and, 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 and doing their best to, to A, get information out, but also doing what they can to work with um, state and business leaders to, um, you know, advocate for more safety measures at, at, at these places um, to, to protect uh, those workers um, when they ultimately do go back on the job to, to prevent this thing from um, getting even worse. But it's, it's uh, like you said, it's a problem across the country. It's not unique to Iowa, um, but definitely one that is also happening here and one that a lot of people are uh, trying to wrap their heads around and, and trying to address. Amy, uh, at the Waterloo uh, Tyson's plant, uh, it's a pretty multicultural workforce. Um, are all the various ethnic groups responding in the same way or I mean, obviously fear knows no uh, color or uh, ethnicity, but uh, what's the response like? Yeah, it's really tough to, to talk to workers directly. Um, some of them will 
talk to you, but a lot of them, um, you know, like you said, don't speak English natively and, and um, maybe don't know us to talk to us as reporters. Um, so a lot of the information we're getting is from these advocacy organizations. Um, LULAC has spoken out um, for, you know, Latino Iowans and, and said that, you know, conditions at the plant were unacceptable. Um, Embark has talked about, you know, sort of what workers are saying directly. And then um, the, they're um, the Burmese refugee organization. Um, so, so, and, and we talked about demographics. Um, the Burmese would fall under the Asian category. And of course, Asians are 2.7% of Iowa and there's something like eight or 9% of cases right now. So they're also overrepresented. Um, so we're, we're hearing bits and pieces, um, but I think overall, I think people across the board, um, white, black, Latino, Burmese, you know, Marshall Islands, all of the, the cultures that, that Tyson hires. I mean, that's what's been great about Tyson in the community is, is that they will hire you even if you don't speak English. And that's not true of a lot of employers. So I think they are just naturally a magnet for a lot of cultures. And then when this all came down, you know, then that is necessarily going to put a bigger burden on a lot of different cultures in Waterloo. And, and it's just, it's really frustrating. So in addition to maybe um, not having uh, health insurance, not having access to hospitals like other people do, not having access to a lot of good information, especially right off the bat, um, it was just a recipe, I think, for a lot of bad things to happen. One of the, you mentioned Lulac and Todd um, in response to the high rates of COVID and meatpacking plants, uh, Lulac and other groups. Lulac is the League of the United Latin American Citizens, um, and they're joining with some farm groups, environmentalists, community activists, and unions. Uh, they're promoting Meatless May as a way to draw attention uh, to the need to protect workers on the food supply chain. Um, given that meatpacking is their livelihood, is this a bit like us telling people not to follow the news for a month? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, you know, I think they're trying to find a way to call attention to the, the situation with, with these workers and that they haven't been adequately protected from the virus and weren't adequately protected initially. And then you saw the case spikes we've seen. And so there's a lot of people that are, you know, angry with the way the, the packing houses have handled this, unhappy with the way our political leadership has handled it. So I think they're just looking for ways to sort of capture the public consciousness and, and make this uh, message clear to people that there's a, there's a big problem with our meatpacking industry and the, the coronavirus has basically uh, exposed problems that have existed long before this. But I have, I have a lot of callers who tell me read stuff on the opinion page and they're going to go newsless. So, I mean, these things, these things happen. Everybody's got, everybody's got to protest in their own way. Yeah. I, I, I do question this strategy because if, if consumers experience a meat shortage, you know, at the grocery store at the same time that farmers are killing their hogs and cattle because they can't, there's no problem, you know, there's no way to packing plants can process these animals. Um, how much sympathy and support are they likely to get? I mean, it, you know, in, in a way, if uh, if they have a lot of people going meatless in May, they may be doing the rest of us a favor, I suppose. But uh, it, I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a, uh, I'm, I'm not sure of the strategy. Yeah, I, guess I, that's what I'm to I would be surprised that you're going to see scores of people go meatless in May in Iowa in the spring when growing season is underway. But 
Yeah. Uh, I think that I think it's mostly just to get people talking about it, like we are and other people are. That that you know that's you know it's a good way to start a conversation, I suppose. It might be like my uh, friends back in college who would give up a uh, beer for Lent, except St. Patrick's Day. You know, so it'll be like <laughs> I'll give up meat and shell Memorial Day weekend or something like that. You know? <laughs> uh, we don't know whether meat will be on the the menu at the State House cafeteria when, um, whenever it is that Iowa lawmakers go back to work. But um, they say it may be in May or it may not be. Um, Legislative Council met this week to extend the pause or suspension of the session. Um, and uh, Democrats are calling for an extraordinary uh, coronavirus health and safety precautions whenever they pick up where they left off. They want voting in the House and Senate chambers to be staggered or done remotely, and that debates in the chambers be live streamed with a limited number of legislators wearing mandatory face masks and gloves. Uh, so that the public is informed and to keep safe during an abbreviated session. Um, constitutionally, legislators have to pass a budget beyond that. Aaron, um, what should we expect? I don't, it's tough to envision expecting much other than that, um, given how far we still are away from um, people being able to gather in masses uh, like you would need to have a full-blown legislative session um, and given the, the deadlines we'll, we'd start to be running up against, I mean, we're already into mid-May um, as of now, and, and, and that they, they postponed to at least May 15th. That, um, and that's assuming they would be able to come back at that moment. That's pretty unlikely. Um, the state budget year ends at the end of June. Um, I think by the time they're able to do anything at all, there's, there's just not going to be enough time um, to do much. So I, I think the most likely scenario at this point is they get some kind of a skeleton session to get a budget passed that will probably be essentially a status quo budget with maybe some really minor tweaks. And, and maybe if they feel there's some extra, um, you know, pandemic related response steps they need to take. But I, I, I don't envision any possibility of anything that resembles a normal session. Uh, does this uh, suggest some uh, extraordinary bipartisan agreements could be possible? <laughs> yeah, the, that's all it took, right? Is a, a global pandemic to uh, get to the two parties to agree on, on a few things. <laughs> well, we're going to have to wait until later in May, I guess, uh, to find out whether or not the legislators can agree on, on anything. Um, but on that note, we'll sign off for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you like it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Twitter or wherever you find your podcasts. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. For Aaron, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening and stay well. Smashed into the rocks You want to find yourself something
much nothing unlocks Better find another way, find another way, baby That's the end Find another way, find another way, baby. That's the end.